Today we are interrupting the sermon series through the first letter of John for this number six of my farewell sermons. The reading will come from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter one, beginning at verse 19. Let us ask the Lord to bless the reading hearing of his holy word. Our Father, we thank you for your wonderful love for us. We thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have life, life abundant, life eternal, by your grace. We thank you, O Holy Spirit, now for your ministry among us, within us. We pray that you will illumine our minds and enable us to receive in our hearts the truth of the very word of God so that our lives might be more nearly transformed into the likeness of Jesus, our Savior, and our minds renewed so that we might live to please you. To the glory of your name, amen. Let us hear the very word of God, it is written. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Amen. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Bible is the word of God breathed out from the mouth of God by the Holy Spirit of God. This morning, I want us to hear and to heed what the Bible says about the reality of death. You are going to die. And so am I. Every single one of us will die and so will everyone that we know and love. And so will everybody else. 
And we don't know when or how. What does the Bible say? You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James 4, 14. And Isaiah 40, verse 6. All flesh is grass and all its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. Psalm 90, verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Psalm 90 is a prayer of Moses. It is a meditation on the frailty of human life and the brevity of human life due to sin. In contrast to the almighty power and righteousness of God who is from everlasting to everlasting. And therefore Moses prays a prayer which ought always to be in our hearts. Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. A heart of wisdom is a heart that beats with an ever-present consciousness of its own mortality. And therefore, a heart of wisdom is a heart which seeks to live in humility before God and in obedience to His Word in every moment. Death is an inexorable, inevitable, inescapable reality. It is the judgment of God upon all of humanity due to our sinful corruption. Our good, perfectly good, infinitely good, infinitely gracious, infinitely generous creator commanded the man, Adam, whose name means human, who was our first father, our progenitor, the root of all humanity and the representative head of all humanity, to him God said, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. But he ate of it. And because Adam was the root of all humanity and the representative head of all humanity, all of his natural descendants have been born as the inheritors of his guilt, his sinful corruption, and the death sentence pronounced upon him by the Creator. 
you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so Romans 5.12 says, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. We know from numerous other passages that this death is not only physical death, but also spiritual death. Death that cuts off human life, not only from the earth, but also from the God of life and the life of God. Jesus himself, Jesus himself said, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. In other words, Jesus said, the death of the body in this world is one thing, but the eternal death of both body and soul in hell is quite another. Jesus spoke often and unflinchingly about the reality of eternal hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. And Jesus is the human embodiment and proof and gift of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in that most Beloved of verses, John 3, 16, from the lips of Jesus himself, you see the promise of life everlasting through faith in Christ is clearly, clearly, clearly given as the remedy, the the antidote to perishing, perishing, perishing without Christ. Any sermon about the reality of death must address the reality of hell. Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. Death and judgment go together. And so it is a lie from the pit of hell that says that the way you get to heaven is simply to die. As though there is no judgment to face. You know, that presumption is fairly popular these days. How do you get to heaven? (laughs) Well, that's easy. You die. That's a lie. The other popular popular presumption these days, and it is another lie, is that this is a really popular one. 
you get to heaven by being a, a pretty good person. You know, nobody's perfect. But pretty good people get to go to heaven. And except, except for the, you know, the, very, the very worst of humanity, most people are probably good enough for God. You know, we, we might really like to think that, wouldn't we? <laughs> but what does the Bible say? The Bible says that none is righteous, no, not one except for only one person who is good enough for God. And that person is perfect. And his name is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And every other person will be judged according to the standard of his sinless perfection. Acts chapter 17, verse 31. So let me ask you, are you a sinner in need of a sinless Savior? Is Jesus Christ your perfect substitutionary sacrifice? Have you accepted him and do you depend upon him alone as your good enoughness for God? Your righteousness received through faith in him so that when you die, you will not perish but have everlasting life. Is Jesus Christ your only comfort in life and in death because you know that he has already died your death in your place on his cross and therefore you now live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you? Are you right now forever alive? In Christ. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus gives a promise and calls for a response. If you believe this, if you believe in, that is, if you trust in, if you have entrusted your life, given your life over to Jesus Christ as your Savior, your Lord, and your God, then, dear Christian, you may confidently say in the words of the Apostle Paul, the very word of God, to die is gain. It's taken me a while to get to Philippians 1, 
But now we can begin to hear the wonderful word of God's word, God's encouragement to all who trust in Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians while he was imprisoned in Rome. He was very aware of the possibility that he might be executed for preaching the gospel of King Jesus. Nevertheless, Paul's letter to the Philippians is known for its joyful, peaceful, happy, grateful tone. There is nothing dark or gloomy in it, even here in this passage, in which Paul contemplates the possibility, the very real possibility of his imminent death as a martyr for Jesus. There are some important things for us to learn from this passage as we consider the reality of our own inevitable death whenever and however that will take place. First of all, the main issue for Paul was not whether he would live or die. That was a given. He he wasn't concerned about that. The main issue for Paul was that he wanted Christ to be honored, whether by his life or by his death. And he wanted the Philippians, and the Lord wants us, you and me, to have that same perspective. Paul wrote to the Philippians to thank them for a gift which they had sent to him and also to comfort and encourage them. They were worried about Paul. They were worried that he might be put to death. They were praying for his release from prison. You can imagine how they might have felt. So it's really sweet the way in which Paul comforted them. He wrote, I will rejoice For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. In effect, Paul was saying, don't worry about me. I'm going to be okay. But when he says, this will turn out for my deliverance, on first reading, it it seems, on the surface, as though Paul fully expected to be delivered from prison. But he immediately continues by saying, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So in other words, yes, he would be delivered either by being released from prison or by being executed for Jesus' sake. And that is the reason that Paul said that he was hard-pressed between the two. That is, hard-pressed between his desire, his sincere desire to continue to live on earth in service to Christ And on the other hand, his desire to depart and be with Christ, which would be far better. Hard pressed between the two. Now, brothers and sisters, when we read to die is gain, we must understand that Paul did not have a morbid death wish and neither should we. If we are Christians, 
then we should sincerely desire to live on the earth for as long as the Lord ordains for the purpose of serving him for his glory in whatever way we can. And it is right and good to desire a long life upon the earth for God's glory and under his blessing. That is a good gift of God. And so as Christians, we ought not to have a despondent and despairing and depressed attitude about life on earth such that we just hope to escape from this world as soon as possible. Oh no, we are here to serve Christ. And we are here to serve him as best we can for as long as we can by his power and grace until he takes us home. That was Paul's perspective as he wrote this letter. Hard pressed between his desire to continue to serve Christ on earth and his desire to depart and be with Christ. So you see, he really was in a win-win situation, and that's how we ought to see our situation. Win-win. If the Romans let him out of prison, he could go on living on earth, serving Christ, preaching the gospel, encouraging believers, and rejoicing over their progress in faith. That's a win. Don't you want to continue living on earth and seeing God's blessing poured out upon your life and your children and your grandchildren? That's a win. That's a win. And, and if, if God should so be pleased, yes, I, I would love to live to be 100. See my grandchildren married and have a house full of great grandchildren to enjoy. I, you know, I would love that. And to continue to serve the Lord in whatever way my decrepit body could do so, you know, at that stage. That's a win. But on the other hand, back to Paul, if they cut off his head, well, as soon as the axe would sever his cervical spine, his soul, his consciousness, his person, he would be with Christ in glory. And in that momentary twinkling of an eye, he would be more alive than he had ever been on earth. And that would be a win indeed. Sharing in the victory which Jesus Christ has won over death. And dear friends, let me remind you that the Bible says that the eternal Son of God partook of human flesh and blood so that through his death, he might set us free from the slavery of the fear of death. As believers in Christ, we can have courage, not fear in the face of death because Christ, our Savior, the Son of God, has overcome death for us. And therefore, as Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, not even death can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Through him, we win. And we win big.
We sang earlier. I hope that you can sing this from your heart. Thou art the life by which alone we live and all our substance and our strength receive. Oh, comfort us in death's approaching hour, strong-hearted then to face it by thy power. Those words reflect Paul's words in this passage. What mattered most to Paul was that he would be strong-hearted to face death with courage for Jesus' sake. And likewise, if he weren't put to death, if he were released, that he would then live not as a shamed coward protecting his own life by no longer proclaiming the gospel. Rather, it was his earnest concern that if he were to go on in this life, that he would not dishonor Christ by shamefully ceasing to live for him. You see, the issue, again, for Paul was not whether he would live or die. The issue for Paul was how he would continue to live if released from prison or how he would face his death if condemned by Nero. In both cases, either courage for the honor of Christ or shamefully denying Christ. Now, can you take that principle and apply it to your own life? Can you say that your ultimate concern is not whether you will live or die in the near future, but rather that if you continue to live on earth, for as long as you do live on earth, you will live courageously to honor Christ even in the face of persecution. And that when faced with a more imminent expectation of your death, the most important thing is that you would honor Christ by facing death courageously through faith in him because to die is gain and to depart and be with Christ is far better. Do you believe that? I want you to believe that. Now, one of my pastoral concerns arising from anecdotal observation, even in our supposedly somewhat Christianized culture here in North Louisiana, is that it, it's, it sometimes seems to me that, that even church-going people don't really believe that to die is gain and that to depart and be with Christ is far better. I mean, when wishing someone a happy birthday... I've actually heard a church-going person say, well, it's better than the alternative. <laughs> Maybe we need to talk. And then it, at funerals or afterward, we hear it said, he had a great run. Or he lived life to the fullest. Or whatever 
so-called celebration of life statement that can be said as though, as though, as though that's it. That's it. And that's all that can be said. And all of this has permeated even the minds of Christians because more than we'd like to admit, we've bought in to the satanic lie that this world is all there is and you only go around once, so live for the moment and go for all the gusto you can and eat dessert first because life is short and live your best life now. Because it doesn't get any better than this. Do you believe that? I hope you don't. I hope you believe that to die is gain because to depart and be with Christ is far better than any life, even the best life in this fallen world. Now, let's put those words in context. The verse actually begins with Paul's words, for to me to live is Christ, for to me to live is Christ, and therefore to die is gain. You see, for Paul, the meaning of life was to know Jesus Christ in the power of his resurrection and to live in the deepest fellowship with him. For Paul, the meaning of life, what life is all about, the whole purpose of living, the reason for living, the joy of living, the goal of living was to live in the most intimate fellowship with the risen Christ and to know more and more and more of his love and his power and his glory. That Jesus Christ crucified and risen was the passion of Paul's life. Therefore, death would not be the loss of his life, but the gain of the fullness of life in and with Jesus Christ in his heavenly glory. The the apostle Paul had seen the risen Christ and his glory. And in some kind of vision or supernatural experience, Paul had been taken up into the third heaven, into paradise, and he heard and saw things that cannot be told because they are beyond our imagination and our ability to comprehend. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But we do have his personal testimony, which is the word of God, that to depart and be with Christ is far better. Too often, it seems to me, too many people think of heaven as nothing more than a runner-up consolation prize. People say, with, 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 with a shrug of the shoulders, so it's not much comfort, well, she's in a better place. That doesn't really sound far better. So, by the way, it's not a matter of being in a better place. I know we say that all the time, but it's not a matter of being in a better place. The Bible says it's a matter of being with Christ. 
Just remember what Jesus said to the repentant thief on the cross. Truly, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And to the Corinthians, Paul wrote, we are of good courage. There's that word again. We are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. It's Christ and only Christ that makes heaven a better place. Because it's Christ and only Christ that makes heaven, heaven. The kingdom of his love. So when you die, if you're not with Christ, you're not in heaven. So please, dearly beloved, let us rid ourselves of those ridiculous cartoon notions of an afterlife filled with pagan, Christless, worldly pleasures. Let us desire to be with Christ and together with him, together with him, yes, with all of his redeemed people. Yes, the Bible says to Christians that we together with all those who belong to the Lord, will always be together with the Lord. He and only he is the one through whom that wonderful and eternal reunion will take place. It's all about our being together with him because of him. You know, deep down in our hearts, we all want to live forever with the people that we love. We were created for that. We all want to live forever with the people that we love. That is the reason that we experience grief. Even when our loved one who dies at 100 years of age, there's still grief, there's still loss. Why? Why? Because here we go, here we go, right here. Deep down in our hearts, we all want to live together with the people that we love. We were created for that. That's what we've lost in our fall. It is right and good and as it should be. For God created us for that life of eternal fellowship in love. We all want to live forever with the people that we love. But that hope, dear friends, That hope, that longing will be fulfilled only in the hearts of those who love Jesus Christ and desire to be with him. Our understandable, please, I want to say this gently, uh, understandable but insufficient Insufficient thoughts about heaven are also expressed when we say, she's not suffering anymore. And yes, that is true of a Christian. Thank God that is true. But it's not only a matter of no longer suffering physical disease and pain or mental deterioration. As wonderful as that will be, and wonderful it will be, praise God. But... You know, the wonder of wonders 
The wonder of wonders is that when I die and go to be with Christ, I will sin no more. Neither in thought, word, or deed. And I have a really hard time imagining myself with a soul that cannot sin. Oh, that will be glory. That will be glory when finally together with all the redeemed of the Lord, I will be set free and perfectly enabled to love God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength forever. When you think about that for yourself, does it thrill your heart and soul? I hope it does. There's so much more that needs to be said. But I close with this. I I began by emphasizing the obvious fact that death is a reality. But I conclude with this, that there is a greater reality. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the last Adam, the obedient Adam, the representative head of all those who are members of his body. For our sake and for our salvation, bore our sins upon the cross under the wrath of God. Wearing a crown of thorns, bearing Adam's curse for our sake. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He has conquered death. He has swallowed up death forever. He has been there. He has been there. He has done that. He has done that. He has undone it. He has undone death. Undone it. For all those who look to him for their salvation. And therefore, my beloved believers, whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. His kingdom is everlasting full of righteousness, peace, and joy. Beauty beyond our imagination. The abundant life, which we cannot even comprehend. But every pure desire of your heart, every longing of your soul, every hope for your true happiness, and the healing of your deepest wound is there in the kingdom of his everlasting love. As it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Dearly beloved in Christ, be cheerful, not fearful.
to die is gain. To God be the glory. Amen. Our Father, we thank you for the glorious gospel of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who for our sake and for our salvation bore our sins in his own body on the tree and rose victorious from the grave that we in union with him might have life and life everlasting. We entrust ourselves to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith in the words of the Heidelberg Catechism. Dear Christian believer, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong body and soul in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. At the cost of his own precious blood, he has fully paid for all my sins and has set me free from the dominion of the devil. He also